All right, knuckleheads, you got Toby here again for this awesome intro. You know how much you love hearing this voice. <laughs> Crazy, it's been a whole month since the BC Con. Can you believe it? I mean, BC Con, the second bad Christian conference has come and gone. For those of you that weren't there, in honor of the one-month anniversary, we want to share, seriously, probably one of the best parts of the BC Con, uh, which is Bonnie Lewis. She was interviewed by Dan Koch, so you're going to love this. All the folks that were there just loved it. She was one of my favorite speakers, interviewees, if you will, and it was just that great. Real quickly, new Emory tour dates. One, Devin and I are doing acoustic Emory uh, songs and stories that starts April 11th in Nashville, April 12th in Louisville, Kentucky, April 13th in Grand Rapids, Michigan, April 14th in Chicago, Illinois. Nashville, where are you at? Everybody else is like almost sold out. Nashville, get there. You are going to love this show. Also, we have a very amazing show coming up in June. You got a few months, but go ahead and get your tickets because they're selling actually pretty quickly. With Hawthorne Heights, there's an awesome VIP. Go to emerymusic.com. You can check it all out. And that starts June 6th in Cincinnati. And I could list all the dates, but it goes through Columbus, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Springfield, Oklahoma City, Denver, Colorado, Wichita, Kansas, and Lincoln, Nebraska. June 6th through June 15th. You want to be at this show because, I mean, this might be like the last time you see us, these bands, together. I mean, we'll be around forever, but who knows if we'll ever get to, to tour again. Anyway, also, marriagesupply.com. Go check it out. All If you've ever wanted to dip your toe into sex toys and you just hate that porn stuff, why not go to a site that you can trust, marriagesupply.com. That supports me and Matt, and uh, we sure would appreciate it. Thank you very much. So... Today's show is also sponsored by Stamps.com. Get a four-week trial plus free postage and digital and a digital scale, which I love that digital scale, by going to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN. Again, that's Stamps.com. Enter code BADCHRISTIAN. Kick it. Oh, hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever fucking talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin. No, girl. It was my pleasure. You showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Three, two, one. It is the BCP, and it's about to be over. Uh, Turning up the microphone for the thought. real Jehovah. Yeah. Us saints want the sinners to all join in. As long as the sinners don't stain us, we'll win. It's a win-win because we're relevant. Relevant. Is that? Did you make that up? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Bad Christian Podcast. What were you? What is that? What are those I, lyrics? So here's what I want to do. I'm going to beg you and Matt, at least once a month, let me come up with a super, super cheeseball Christian rap lyric. That you even say like that. I like to say to everyone today that Jesus Christ, he's the only way. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Son of God, and he's my best friend. I want to say stuff like that. Now, that I didn't did you make get up. That from? 
That was like, from a that was from like the first Christian rapper of all time, Stephen Wiley. Like we bought that stuff right let away. Let me guess. Let me just guess. He was white. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He was black, but <laughs> he might as well have been white because he sounded like a white rapper for sure. He was. He, he was. God bless him. He opened some doors, I guess, but he was not that good. But God anyway, bless him. I want to like, do that. The, the first one you came up with, the first, the first one, I, I did really poorly at the beatbox. It's harder than I thought. You're, you're really good at it. We may, we may need to practice because listen to this. People didn't hear it. Listen, it is the BCP, and it's about over turning up the microphone for the real Jehovah. Us saints and sinners to all no. Us saints want the sinners to all uh-huh. join in. As long as the sinners don't stain us, it's a win-win because we're relevant. Hell yeah, we're relevant. Yeah, we're relevant. Hell yeah, we're relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Once a month, that? let me do it. Yeah, I wrote that. I Once would love to have seen you sitting down with pen and paper <laughs> writing that and like, t- what will rhyme with? <laughs> it took 45 seconds. <laughs> you can't all tell. Right, so- so, Reva, why don't you tell everybody where Matt is? Well, Matt Carter had a little baby Cosmo. Cosmo. <laughs> Cosmo Eugene Carter was born on Saturday, March the 8th, I believe. Nine, so the million-dollar uh, question, nine. Toby. Nine. So yep. the million-dollar question, Toby, could you call Matt right now and within five minutes make him uh, start crying in, in this in this headspace that he's in, do you think you could call him and make him start crying? Uh, it'd be kind of maybe hard right now. If, like if I called him and said, "Hey, I, I mean, I don't know how you want to try it. it. Try it and put it on speakerphone. It, like, it could you work. think of anything? No, no. I'm trying to think. Like that'd be I mean, cool to have him. On okay, speakerphone. this is when you get me into trouble and everybody thinks you're the good guy. I'm the bad guy. I would immediately have. I mean, in order, like, if you challenged me to make Matt cry, I would have to go into like his mom passing away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what the relevance of that is with a newborn baby, would and what win is that bet? I mean, I, I would that do everything I could possible. to win the bet. Toby, Matt, do you would not thank try to win later. the bet? Matt would thank you later. He would say that's the best podcasting ever. Like he's done the same thing to his dad uh, in a lesser degree. You got to do it. Call him up. Try to make him cry. Talk It'd about be, his mom I'd and say, how. I'd say, hey, Matt, how's it going, man? How's how's Cosmo doing? The baby doing pretty good. He'd be trying. He's like, man, I, and I'd have to immediately go into, you know, it must be tough not having your mom there. Uh, I know how amazing she would have. She would have been so awesome. That her her first grandbaby that was a boy. No, he wouldn't be suspicious if you jumped right into that because Toby never does that. He would have been, yeah, he would have yeah. been for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 held Matt in a hug over a broken. <laughs> he got his heart broken by a girl in a. In the kitchen of our first apartment before Emory even was anything. So I know the buttons to push, but I just, do I have to go there? I mean, like, is is that your sin or mine? If you bet, if you, if you say, Toby, you have to make Matt cry, that's the bet. That's your sin. You're the bad guy, Joey, not me. But nope, people would think I'm nope, the bad guy. Nope, because you love money. I of course just, I, I do. I, I set a trap for you. I wanted to prove that you're the lover of all money, and it's the root of all evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. No, it's the root, yeah, all kinds of evil. All but kinds that kinds of, of it's not the root of all evil. It's all right. kinds of evil. No, the lo- <laughs> love of money. The love of money. Hey, so um, we had, uh, so everybody knows we just got back from How Norway. How much do you love money? Like, if you had to put a percentage on it, like, uh, okay, 
How much do you love Priscilla? Like zero or 100%? Like all of it your love? just depends on what day, man. You know that. You know how marriage works. I can't tell you how. It, it depends on the day. Because so you're asking sex, for a Tuesdays, feeling. it's 100, but every God, other day, yes. what is it? Um, Four. Y'all, you and Priscilla yeah, do sex, tu- sex Tuesdays, right? <laughs> Dude, listen, listen to this. I remember being a small group leader and challenging all the couples, this would have been in like 2008, I think, challenging all the couples to like have sex every night. Isn't that horrible? Wow. I mean, that's the worst thing ever. Like, how in the world do I have what the was their response? Do you remember what their responses were? Were, like, th- were they on board? I, or? I think the majority thought, you know what, that is a really good point, you know, as far as the closeness that brings. And, you know, of course, I talked about how this is just one part of the relationship, and uh, but it's an important part. But still, the audacity for me to assume that that would have been a good thing for all those couples. Like, who who am I to to know that? I mean, there could have been yeah. this was a, challenge a husband. This married couples? Yes, okay. yes. So, <laughs> and, and, and on pre-marriage counseling. <laughs> right. And, and on... And on top of that, it was it was to friends, you know what I'm saying? But still, you don't always know what skeletons are in friends' closets, but still. So. Yeah. Do, do you remember if they did it or not? Was that like a thing the next week? Y'all were like, yeah, we did it all. Everybody I don't remember. Agreed, I don't remember. I, we probably did have some follow-up and uh, show videos and those sorts of now, things. Can I ask you a question in retrospect? Because, I mean, I thought Just the same ask, thing. Man. Just I, I thought the Well, I well, thought you, the same you thing. You had to have videos for proof. How else are yes. you going to know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they didn't show video, then it's not, you know. Yeah. Right. But right. in retrospect, like, I thought that too. Like, I, I, I think Jess and I have made deals where, like, we were going to have sex every day this week or every day this month. We'll have sex and it means something. Yeah. As opposed to it really meaning something. It ends up being, what's the frust- uh, in retrospect, again, the frustrating thing about that thought is it is just about the sex and not about connection or anything. Like, and, and I didn't realize that. Especially yeah. probably early on in our marriage, for sure. But do you think, in when you look back on that, do you think you were? Do you, did you look at it as this will help marriage, or guys need sex because you know how you felt about sex yourself? Do you think you were kind of doing a, a solid to the dudes more now in retrospect? Is that make I mean sense? it's yeah yeah that totally does if if I was I wasn't aware like my my. My shallow sure. intentions consciously was this will actually be good for everybody's relationship because I know there's got to be probably some of them that I can relate to because sometimes Priscilla and I'll just let a lot of time go by or be busy or I don't slow down right. to pursue her or whatever. So, man, this could be a great challenge because it just kind of puts it in front of everybody. And maybe if we give each other some accountability, this could really help marriages. So, I mean, that's, right. that's where I was at with that. No, no, I, I totally agree. I think that's the way I looked at it too. I just always thought, yeah, you would, it helps your marriage because connect. And, and I do believe, like, I mean, I guess I, I don't know if people take it uh, as real or uh, studied or not, but I believe my love language is touch, even though I never yeah. knew that. And so I feel more connected that way. Like, I don't really, I don't care about service necessarily or presence or what's the other one? What are the five love languages? You know so I mean? it's, it's touch, touch it's words time. of affirmation, words of affirmation, gift giving, acts of services, and quality time. Quality yeah. time. Uh, mine probably are touch and quality time, but I don't know. Maybe I should re- redo the test again and see. But I, I think the idea there really is like, oh, wait a minute. More connection, more. I mean, because also you're coming from the standpoint of marriage is the only time you get to have sex. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like from the Christian standpoint that way. But but here here's what I've realized recently too is if if every aspect of your relationship with your partner is important, then wouldn't it make sense that there would be ebb and flows of the sorts of aspects that you focus a lot of attention on. So instead yeah. of seeing like a drought in sex as like, oh my gosh, we need to not only crave this and feel sad about it, but also feel guilty yeah. about it for crying out loud. I mean, I felt guilty about ha- not having enough sex with my wife. Like instead of taking that approach, what if there's natural ebbs and flows of, you know what, this season, there's just not a lot of that. And maybe it's because we don't need it as much. You know, maybe we need to be spending time doing other things. I mean, I don't know, but that would make sense to me. All right, folks, no one really has time to go to the post office. You're busy. Who's got time for all that traffic? Seriously, in the Nashville Franklin area, the traffic destroys my brain. And then you got to park and you got to lugging all your mail and packages. It's a real hassle. That's why. You need stamps.com. I use stamps.com, I think, every day. I mean, that's how much I love it. That's how much, uh, that's how user-friendly it is. Y'all know me. I'm a 42-year-old, about to be 43, and stamps.com is just so nice and easy for me to use. It feels like home to me, seriously. one of the, It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office, and it saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Seriously, stamps.com brings all the amazing services all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer, whether you're a small office sending invoices, and an online seller shipping our uh, products like I do, and even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once you uh, once your mail is ready, you can hand it to your mail carrier or drop it off in a mailbox. It's that simple. Seriously, if you have uh, something that fits in your mailbox, put it up, uh, raise the red flag. They'll pick it up for you. Or if you got a lot of postage, uh, a lot of packages, take it to the post office, drop it right off and leave. No lines. It's so awesome. So right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes four a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale, which I love that digital scale, without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's stamps.com, and enter Bad Christian. I would love it. Now, because the opposite side of this is, what if it did work? What yeah. if it is good? Like, what if what if you had sex every day for a month, or maybe every day for a week? Uh, well, have you ever know. known a Have you ever known a couple that actually like? I know a couple that when they get irritated with each other and they're short tempered and and a lot of tension, they both have sex and they they both help. Priscilla and I that I would love that solution. She would hate it, but <laughs> it works for that couple. Like, have really? you ever met anybody? Get, yes. No, I've never met anybody like yes, that. Yes, for What's both of them. What's their first and last names? <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about this? If anybody's up, up for a challenge, any of you, and we're just talking about married folks because you have to live in the same house and, uh, and you might have kids and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, if that's it, right. Only married folks live together. I forgot about that. Oh, shit, you're right. And, and, and only married folks have kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, wow, you, you you are so 1980, man. Ah, damn it. it! All right, if you live together, if you're in the same house, maybe you have kids or not. If anybody wants to take the challenge, well, how long? Well, every for every day for a week you have sex, and then every Seven day days. the next week, or is it should it be a month? 
If uh, anybody wants to take that challenge and write us and tell us how it worked out, I would love yeah, to hear that. Oh, like, I'd love to. Two also. weeks of straight sex and two weeks of not straight sex. Like, maybe that's not, it might have to be, does it have to be a month? What do y'all think? Like, how Whatever. long does it be to do a test? I mean, I, I would say, I would say two weeks. Can you have seems, sex every day for a month? That sounds it like, depends on how that doesn't old even you sound are, fun. Man. It seems, depends on how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you decide with whoever, but if you if you happen to do that, I'm not telling anybody to do it because I right. don't know if it's good or bad or anything. Right. But if anybody does do that, like a certain amount of time sex, like a, a week or two of all sex every day, no matter what, you don't miss a day, and then a week or two of no sex or a month or whatever you think, uh, tell us how long you did it. Uh, it'd be very interesting. Maybe we'll even yeah. bring them on. If there's a couple yeah. out there that wants to, that would be free to talk about that. Uh, and if you go to marriagesupply.com and check out, maybe you want to use some Hell sex yeah. toys or something, you know, with no porn, you should check that out too. Marriagesupply.com. Uh, <laughs> you should do that. But, um, I think that that would be really interesting just to know if there was anything that happened. Maybe I, if you had to guess or bet, what would you say? Would you, would you think closer, not, not as close, yeah. no difference? I would, I would say if both partners were legitimately not pressured into it so it was both 100% right. voluntary yes no pressure then, yes. then 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 i would say i would be shocked if it didn't benefit everyone unless major really? except unless major exceptions like impotence or something that wreaked havoc on their actual time together yeah how how could that not draw two people close together that are making the decision to do it like they're saying we're going to do this for a relationship where they're going to be driven further apart well, that's the trick so, right there is that both of them would have to, like, both of them would have to want to every single night. Right. And there's right. a lot, most marriages, you don't have that. two people that want that. Even most even marriages, you would have. Chances of that is super low. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you could keep a record of it, though. Like, hey, listen, tonight, one of us was just not into it and we just did not do it. It was like, that would even be interesting to know if you said, no matter what, every day for a week or two weeks, we're going to have sex. Could you even do that? Would it even be? Would it even be like? You're right. There's going to be a time where the you know the kids haven't gone to bed or they're sick or or you're just exhausted from work or whatever. And so, but it it'll be interesting if anybody out there wants to try it on their own accord and let us know. You can email uh, email it to what what email can they send it to? There. Hello the, at badchristian.com. Hello at badchristian.com. Email it in a. Uh, some kind of cool document form or uh, uh what like a, a sex log yeah yeah a sex log hey you know what it would be helpful if every day you wrote we didn't want to do it but we did uh, we both agreed to or uh you know or we decided no it's just not worth it or whatever that'd be interesting just to see and I, like if you t- kept a little journal that'd be pretty interesting i i, I actually do believe I do think if you kept a journal, and no matter what, we are not promoting one person wants to have sex, the other person doesn't. You have to, it has to be consensual. No way. Uh, who, you know, both partners go, yes, we want to do this. We want to try it and see what happens. This is not a thing where it's like, you know, oh, let's have sex every day and then not yeah. for a certain while. But it'd be really interesting to see the difference when having sex and not having sex and what you value and what, you know, if you're where your brain is at and your chemicals and your body are at and all those things. Uh, if anybody wants to try it, try it out. If, and if yeah. not, you know, no worries. Hey, in that, in that same small group, I, we had a, a wife stand up and this, 
I learned this at a pretty late age. I was like, this sort of thing actually exists. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, uncharted territory for my mind. I but know exactly wo- what you're going to say. The woman actually stood up and said, I need more sex. He never wants sex. Like, I just want I to. Do- and, and I And I think she even went a little erotic. And all the dudes were like, holy shit. <laughs> like, this wife is begging for more. And... I think what do you mean she went erotic? I think she, I think she said, I want a throbbing cock, my husband's throbbing member to be inserted inside my welcoming cave of love. Is that what? What's erotic to Joey Spencer? Like I, I just, love, like I, you and erotica does not. I never put those two things together. Well, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe she didn't say anything erotic, but maybe every guy in the room was turned on to some degree. Okay. Oh my! Like just yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's funny you I mean, say you that. Think about a, yeah. a, a, a wife that's in a season where she's just so desperate for it. That sound that sounds good because everybody's been in seasons. Well, I'm not. I don't know if everybody, but we've all been in those seasons. We've all been in seasons where one person doesn't want it. So, well, I mean, I mean, we're joking around here, but there, there, there is something very uh, exciting and erotic, if you will, about somebody saying, "Man, I really want to have sex." Like that, that, that sounds like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" You know that. that, I mean, no matter what, everybody at that moment was listening in that room. Like if and thinking, a moderately if a moderately attractive girl walked up to you and said that, you I, I know Toby what? and, and why and does it gotta be moderately attractive? Couldn't it just be a woman? <laughs> no, no, no. What I mean by that is you are moderately attractive to her. I'm not talking about oh, some I'm attracted universal to her. standard. I'm moderately yeah, I'm attracted to her. I yes, I should have said it that way because that's I what see. I meant. But it, you I, I know Toby, unless there's a weird set of circumstances, you're not gonna do it, but I guarantee you I you're turned on. Yes, Guaranteed. I would be fully erect, right? And I, I would uh, call Jess and say we're done, <laughs> and then I would. Okay, that's just how I mean. That's just how I am. That's bad Christian. You go get yours, <laughs> man. You go get yours. <laughs> Joey says, even if I was moderately attracted to someone, I would want to cheat with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reva, who we got on the podcast today? Who, I mean, uh, Matt's not here. He's well, doing whatever. He's just Toby making I don't babies. Know what we're doing, so you, I know. What, we don't know what the hell on? we're doing. So, Reva, <laughs> Reva, tell us who's coming on. We have Bonnie Lewis. All right. Bonnie Lewis is awesome. She's from the conference, BC Con, that we just had. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was actually amazing having her there. She is. Uh, it was one of the highlights for me, for sure. Of having well, and part of that is part of that is just how studied and knowledgeable she is. But then Dan also brings a super interesting aspect to the conversation because he's so good. So just those two yep. playing off of each other is a great conversation. Yep. All right, guys, it's it's really a matter of common sense when it comes to Indochino. So I have been shopping at one of your little stores at the mall where they're known for their suits and all that stuff. I've gotten great customer service, great help, but not a great suit. It's because that suit wasn't made just for me. So Indochino, that's how they work. They're the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company out there. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. And I'm walking evidence of that every time I do a wedding or a funeral or have to dress up. I've got my badass Indochino suit that is just so fun to have on because, honestly... 
since it's made to measure and it fits me well, it actually looks good on me. So here's how it works. You can visit a stylist at our showroom and have them take your measurements personally, or you can measure at home and shop online at Indochino.com. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. You basically choose your fabric inside and out, choose your design customizations, you submit your measurements with different uh, all your different choices, and you relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in a couple of weeks, right to your door. All right, so this week we are giving our listeners any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering Bad Christian at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. You guys who are familiar with suit prices, you know this is an unbelievable deal. So the shipping is free. Go to Indochino.com. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code BADCHRISTIAN for any premium suit just $359 free shipping incredible deal for a premium suit a premium made to measure suit once you go custom you will not go back this is Bonnie everybody they know me they don't know you why don't you say say hello hey guys how are you I'm from Austin so welcome to Texas is anyone else here from Austin oh yes I don't know a ton of people we haven't lived there long so be my friend Austin to me Culturally is like the Alamo of the state of Texas. It's the only place to live. To borrow a Texas image. Um, so Bonnie is working on this really cool. I had, I had the chance to hang out with Bonnie this morning for about an hour, which is yeah. fantastic. She's working on this really awesome translation. Uh, and we are going to talk about that. But we're going to spend the first half talking about like basically the the process and trials of becoming a female theologian and pastor, because that's kind of the backdrop of this. I imagine that most people in here have no theological quibble with that, but raise your hand if you were raised in a tradition that explicitly had no female lead pastors or teaching pastors. Okay, that's like 60-70%, which is what I thought. Um, so, Bonnie, to start off, in in uh, in most denominations that allow female pastors, you go to seminary first. So we're going to talk about theologian and then pastor. Uh, there's a handful of evangelical like Foursquare, but it's the minority. Right. Yeah. How, what made you decide to go to seminary? Yeah. So um, I got my bachelor's in world religions and I just loved it. I thought it was fascinating just to learn about culture and religion and why we do things the way we do for better, for worse. So I loved it. Um, I went to a really liberal college, so I learned about all the world religions except my own. So, um, I also was graduating. I I honestly didn't know what to do. And my mom was like, you are never going to get a job with that degree. So I was like, I'm just going to go to seminary. And, um, it's really in my blood, like it's in my DNA. I, really bend towards research. So if there's anything I want to know about, I sort of just research the crap out of it. It's just like how I approach things. So I know a lot of random facts about random things for no reason besides I thought it was interesting. So I spent like a year researching it. So for me, that was what my I wanted to do with my faith. That was just like, seemed like the logical next step was if I didn't know enough, I should research it and get a degree about it. That just seemed like what I should do. So, um, 
I signed up for seminary. I uh, wasn't fully bought into the idea that I was allowed to do seminary as a woman uh, because I was never raised in that environment, um, which we can get into later. But so my first uh, seminary, I actually did two. So my first one I went to, um, I signed up for an apologetics degree because that felt like a safe ground for a woman to do. Um, Because you could probably teach children with that degree easily. So I was like, this will set me up. Who, how do all the animals fit on the ark? Well, let me go through the Kalam cosmological (laughs) argument for the existence of God. So it just kind of (laughs) felt like, yeah, it was like a, it was a weird season. You know, I also wanted to write and be a theologian, but I also felt like I couldn't. So I ended up doing this baking blog that was basically like theology with the recipe slapped on, but but I also can't cook. So it was a weird <laughs> thing. It was just like other people's recipes. Oh, that's why you became a pastor. Cause you can't clean and cook. Exactly. So I was like, it's just, and like to be fair, if you can't do one, you got to do the other. Yeah. If you asked my husband, he would be like, she can't. Can. Cannot. Oh, she he would agree with you. Yeah. Like when we're fine with that. Okay. We don't, we do non- you know, you can have any role in our house, no matter your gender. So I don't mm-hmm. do the laundry and stuff. Anyways, um, we're all supports. We don't hire someone. He does it. He does mostly all the things. You could do anything in our house. Also, we have help and uh, they do most of it. <laughs> exactly. I wish. Um, but if we wanted to. If we, we wanted to, anything. you could do anything. So anyways, we really digress there. So I went to this... Um, seminary and I was going to get an apologetics degree and we're sitting in class and each it, we have the first class or whatever. And I should have, should have warning signs. It was like, this is your, this is going to be as good as your Bible. And it was like a Wayne Grudem systematic theology book. And, um, we had to write these papers. And then the next day or the next class, you turn the paper or you email the teacher, the paper. And then the next class, he reads the best paper or whatever. But the rule was is single space, double-sided on one topic. And so the first one was about the Trinity. So I get to class and I'm kind of on the fence still. Like, do I even want to be here? And and to be fair, um, it was all my friends are still in college. I graduated early, mostly just because I was poor and I couldn't afford to keep going. So I was like, let's just finish this up. And um, on Wednesday nights when my class was, everyone was getting together to watch Lost. Do you remember that TV show Lost? Oh, yeah. And so I'm like thinking about all of them having this Lost party and I'm sitting in this like systematic theology class. And um he passes him out and he's like, okay, I'm going to read the paper. And he starts reading my paper on the Trinity. And, um, he's like, he hands it to me. He's like, this was the best one. And he hands it to me and I got a 99 and he's like, you know, job well done. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is a red flag. Like there is no way I know 99% of what there is to know about the Trinity. Yeah. So I just was like, you know what? this just isn't for me. I turned my paper in. I went home. I made it home for lost and I just <laughs> quit seminary. I thought you were going to say, why not just round it up to a hundred? No, <laughs> I was like, like fuck, man? this isn't for me. So I uh, went to a, I uh, ended up going to Fuller Seminary um, and decided I wanted a master's of theology. And I was like, you know what, yeah. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I ended up um, going that route and I'm really glad that I did. I'm just glad that when you were studying world religions, the devil didn't carry you off. Uh, he almost did through yoga. Oh, yeah. But you got to watch out. You Opening do. Some of those poses. Eastern spirits, man. I know. 
Like even talking about it right now. It's giving you the heebie-jeebies. It's giving me a flutter. So in seminary, what was your what was your area of focus or sort of your favorite topic? Yeah, so um, I kind of did too. I, I made a mistake. I, I did. I took Greek in undergrad, so I tested out of it in seminary. And I wish I hadn't done that because that's really my favorite is the language. Um, but in seminary, I focused mostly on theology and culture and then also spiritual disciplines. Very cool. Yeah. What would you say to any women who are considering seminary as a possible path? Yeah, I think that um, we need you. Even in seminaries that are pro-women, there aren't a lot of us. So um, we really need you. We really need your voice. You have to remember, like, everything you're studying in seminary was probably written by a white male a long time ago. Um, So when you're in class and you raise your hand and you're like, that's not everyone's reality, they need that voice. Um, I would say from experience, don't choose a seminary that it's going to be an uphill battle for you. It's really not worth it. Like we get so much shit as being women anyway. You don't need that as you're also trying to like fill out your vocation and something you love. But just a reminder, whenever people quote Augustine, he was African, not white. There you go. He's North African. Um, So, (laughs) which I don't know why that quote, he was Arab. Egyptian, basically. Anyway, uh, basically all the patristics up till 400 AD, none of those dudes were white. So remember that. Um, Moving on to pastoring. Yes. In a sense, there's less resistance culturally to a woman at seminary. It's learning. It's academic. There are there are different shades of complementarians. There are complementarians who will allow female deacons and teachers and they'd be directors. fine directors. They'd be fine having them as professors in a college or something, right. just no head pastors. Um, but once you become a pastor, you're screwed. Now you're now the door is really open. Um, is the church that you pastor connected to a denomination or is it non-denominational? Yeah. So it's non-denom um, and it's actually kind of a weird situation. So um, I was a pastor of a house church for a long time. Um, kind of as it was forming. But then um, in the area, a guy I knew had started a church and he ended up having to leave the church. And so they were like, can you please step in? So I was kind of doing both. So since we moved to Texas, um, I fly back there monthly to pastor and we're hopefully talking about maybe starting a house church, but like out of that umbrella church, if that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, but it is non-denom. What challenges... that you, what challenges did you face sort of growing up, becoming an adult, thinking through seminary and then thinking through ordination and, or if it, if it's not right, technically ordination, whatever, beginning to, to preach and lead, um, in, in either your own particular subculture you grew up in or the couple concentric circles out from that? Yeah. So it was never explicit, an explicit no. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There was, it was never it wasn't really a talked about. It's kind of a non-issue, but it was also never modeled. And um, as a parent now, I know 90% is caught, not taught. You know what I mean? So yeah. I never saw it modeled. Um, and so for that reason, I never figured it was allowed. Um, at the same time, though, no one ever said it's not allowed. Um, by nature, I'm well, I used to be. I don't think I am anymore. Um, a really big rule follower. So I was kind of afraid to even push that boundary. Um, but once I started getting into it and started really loving the text, loving learning about it, loving learning about the cultures and um, the historical nuances and everything around it, and I was like, hey, I could do this. I could um, I could preach and I could 
do something other besides this like baking blog that's going nowhere. Um, once I kind of started to like dip my toe in it, that's when I really got faced with like, oh no, you wait, whoa, 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 back up. Like you were fine if you were learning things and keeping it in your head, in your own head. And the the irony of that is during that time, I actually got hired at some mega churches. Like I can't even, now I can't even believe I like stood for this, but I got hired at mega churches to research and write the sermons that the men would preach. Are you kidding me? No, <laughs> that's not a lie. Oh my gosh. And, that's um, amazing. yeah. And so I had one pastor who was a, became a friend of mine who was really my advocate and would be like, no, she's, she's preaching like, and would really whatever. But the consensus was, you know, you're allowed, um, you're allowed to know about it and you're allowed to learn it, but you can never talk about it. Like, and no one can know that this isn't from our brains. This is like from your talk brain. about hiring the help to do some of the work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so, but what was interesting about that situation too is, um, are many of them, I'm approaching it assuming wrongly, obviously, that I have an equal voice and like I have a seat at the table. So then we'd be in meetings and we'd be discussing something theologically and the pastor would say something that at the time that this guy was like, it was God awful wrong. And I'd be like, actually, I don't think that's what the text says. And here's why, blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember multiple times getting a phone call or called into the office and getting my hand slapped and saying, you're not allowed to disagree with us in public. Like if you have something to say, you keep it to yourself. And while we're at it, you can't have opinions on X, Y, and Z. And so um, I had that going on. And then from a social standpoint, I also had a lot of friends that, um, and I'm still trying to figure this out. I run into this a lot is um, I think we have a, we have a really big culture of fear in the church. The church is really, um, a lot of people are afraid of things. And so sometimes when you see someone stepping out and doing something that you think is against the rules, that makes them afraid or intimidated. It's like it holds up a mirror to them. And so they kind of lash out at you. So I had a few uh, people like tell my husband, like, well, if your wife is going to um, have her master's, you better get your PhD. And he was like, "Amazing, fuck? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. That's, uh, he's a, like, that's a very weird logic, actually. Yeah. Like it doesn't actually make sense, but, no. um, and so there was, I've come to grips with a lot of this stuff is that mo- like 95% of the things that people say to me, men or women that are against being a theologian, being a pastor, writing a Bible translation has a lot more to do with them and their fear than it has to do with me and what oh, I'm doing. Preach it. Yeah. So that's but that probably was a, true so, for most of what people say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just thinking like what it would like what it must have taken for you to do a baking blog when you weren't good at baking. And I, I thought, well, that's like me deciding to start a physical fitness blog. You should try it. And then you can see. I mean, it was. And then rough. how unhealthy would the environment have been that I was raised in such that I would come to that conclusion? Yeah. And um, like now I'm in such a better place. Like once a week, I'm like text husband. I'm like, meet me at Hat Creek. I tried to cook again. It got weird. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> it's a lifelong journey. Um, so I point taken about uh, implicit rules. This is something that if you go to therapy or if you have friends who go to grad school for counseling, it ends up inevitably coming up in your conversations with them of like, what were the unspoken rules in your family that no one ever said, but that you very much internalized 
my wife and I have talked about some of this. In her family, it was never disagree with each other. Never disagree. In my family, it was the door is always open. The front door is always open. It's a revolving door. People are always welcome. Never do anything that would make them unwelcome. One of those is a little healthier than the other, but we all have our shit. Um, (laughs) But moving from implicit to explicit, do you have any anecdotes of outright hostility from men about either the seminary or the pastoring stuff? Yeah. um, The juicier, the better. Autumn just totally undercut us in terms of stories. In terms of like wow factor. Way more, way more gruesome detail. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, Yeah, I've had like... Well, anytime I preach anywhere and you're about five minutes in and they realize like, oh, she's she's not messing around. Like she's not going to give a sermon about being a good wife. Like she's not Proverbs 31-ing it. Like <laughs> it's true. As soon as at least five or 10 yeah. men get up and really? usually are dragging their wives behind them. I mean- hands down. And I, uh, that used to offend me. Yeah. And then I realized, you know what, that's five or 10 people that aren't going to like scream at me after. So go in peace. You know, it doesn't bug me anymore. Sure. Um, yeah. But you know, I have had um, just recently, I had, um, I had somebody who was a friend of mine um, and he was talking to me about the translation and he said, you know, um, can I, can I ask you a few questions? And I was like, sure. And he was like, um, it seems to me that you're a heretic. <laughs> Do you agree? <laughs> and I was like, I, I did have this one question I wanted to lead off with. <laughs> exactly. Just to sort of, and I'm like, well, how much time do you have? Can I actually, before a question, I want to start with a command. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> okay. My next question is take off your shoes and start cooking. <laughs> I know. And so I was just you're like, sorry, I tried that. You don't, you don't want the fruits of that labor. <laughs> I will sir. if you, if you demand it. And so um, Wait, maybe passive aggressively, the next thing you should do with this person is actually send him some of your like bad send him baked a pie. goods. Yeah. Like a bad pie. And be yeah. like, this is from me to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and we started talking and he was just like, you know, you're adding to scripture and you're leading everyone astray and your soul is so lost. And, you know, and, I've had conversations like this before. And the funny part about it is usually it, it leads, it goes something like this. You um, are leading everyone astray because you're a woman and preaching. And we all know that it's Eve that ate the fucking apple. And so it's her fault. So therefore you are going to damn this whole church to hell. And I'm like, gosh, I, I don't even know if I think like what I think about hell. like we are starting on different pages. Yeah. And um, the thing is, is, that I have found and like what this guy said to me recently that was actually very triggering um, is he said, I'm going to pray for your lost soul. I'm going to pray for all the souls that you're leading astray. Um, but also I'm going to, in for the Bible translation, we did a Kickstarter, which was an insane idea, but it happened to work. It worked. And um, he said, I'm going to pray. My wife and I are going to pray every night that your project fails. And it was um, triggering is a good word. I knew like in the back of my head that they had really done a number on me in terms of theology. And if there's a set of theology that says you can't be a woman, 
and then you step out and you go against that, like what that means, like you're not just doing something wrong, but like you're basically waking up this God that is going to attack you and hurt you and condemn you. And what's tough about that is um, a part of my story and part of um, the reason why I stepped out anyway was when I was um, like five years ago, we had, I have two children, eight and two. I should have one in the middle, but um, I delivered him as a stillborn. And when that happened, um, I was still really kind of trapped in a legalistic mindset. And I had narratives in my head that from when growing up and from that was like, this happened because you forged your own path. Like, Oh gosh, this is God punishing you. And, um, so anyway, when he said that it was so triggering cause sorry. Um, that's okay. But it was like, this is why we as women have to, if we don't have a problem with it and we feel called why we have to do it. And yeah. why as men, we have to champion the women. Um, because there are narratives all over the church that just say, like, if you are who you're made to be, that's not allowed because it doesn't fit into who I want you to be. And um, so that's damaging in a really deep and painful way. One thing that uh, I try and do in my own work um, is to make space for disagreement. Uh, earlier I said I don't imagine that many of you have a problem with this topic, but also like there might be some here who are like, I don't know what I think about women in ministry. And I think we both want to say, that's fine. We're glad you're here. Yeah. Um, and certainly uh, I don't mean to set up an ideological purity test for anybody at the Bad Christian Conference that you must agree with us mm -mm. on female ordination or something like that. If you're here, you're obviously not the kind of person who is praying for the demise of the Kickstarter. Right. I would or my imagine. soul. Right. Uh, if, if that's you, there are 50 other reasons you're not at the Bad Christian Conference. <laughs> <laughs> and that is number 51. Um, but if there are people here or, or if there are loved ones in, in our lives who are still in the traditionalist view, right. what's the most loving sort of entrance to that conversation in terms of uh, for people who are willing to have it. Yeah, I think that that's key. People who are willing to have it. Um, you know, almost right away, people that aren't willing to have it. Right. And just as self-preservation, like I just don't go there. I just don't have it. There's scriptural pretext for that. Wipe the dirt off your sandals. See ya. Pearls before swine. There you go. So Or bad pies. <laughs> I invite them over for a meal. Swine though. Swine, not so discerning in terms of the sugar to butter ratio. <laughs> They probably wouldn't notice. They probably wouldn't get it. So um, I really, I do, I just don't do it because I, I have learned that that's not a conversation. It's not fruitful. And their their goal is to be mean. It's a waste of your time, it, yeah. frankly. So yeah. I, and um, there's this great verse in Nehemiah and he's like building this thing and all these people are like, what are you doing? Explain it to us. And he's like, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. And so that's how I view that. Like I'm doing this thing and I cannot come down and talk to you about this for a conversation that's not, ha not going to have it. But for people that really want to talk about it, I have people in my life that still are like, I'm on the fence. And I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I usually start with, 
I don't even necessarily start with scripture because I think that we all view scripture through this lens. So why is it that you think that? What has been your experience? And the other thing I do, I think of is, um, I think a lot of time women as pastors bring up structural privilege for a lot of males. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes what can happen is it's not necessarily that men are like, I think I'm better. I don't think that that's the case. It might be sometimes, and you know that pretty like right away. But I think actually what happens is in society in general, when we have like these constructs of structural privilege, right? There's somebody that's used to being on top and there's someone that is used to being lower. And when somebody that is used to being lower comes up and is equal with someone on top, For the person on top, that equality can feel like oppression. Mm -hmm. And they don't even always notice that that's what's happening. It just feels threatening and they don't know why. So sometimes I think we need to start there and explore that. Um, We can still end up disagreeing. But I think if we don't get there first of like our place in society, how we grew up, how we read the Bible, how we think the Bible was written, like... There's so much that has to go into it before we get into the verses or we're, we don't, I don't think we have a chance. I want to talk about Tim Schull, Okay. the translation. It's very cool uh, from, you. from what is available online. Um, you describe it as an idiomatic translation. Are women allowed to use that good of vocabulary? I mean, no. are you using that word under your husband's headship? Yeah. Like okay. he, Okay. He opened the thesaurus and then was like yeah, he, idiomatic. He, yeah, he's like pointed, like hint. Yeah, like when you're helping like, your three-year-old read. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would describe it as, in my language, it's, it is both affective, meaning it's the emotion that the character is feeling, and then it also incorporates basically cultural backdrop. And so it ends up being longer because you're putting a bunch of stuff in that's not in the text, but like if you Heretic. read the text and read a comment, like a couple commentaries and whatever, and then you got in their brain, that would be, is that right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great description. Yeah. So, um, basically, it's a lot longer than idiomatic though. Yeah. But you can't say all that on a book spine. True. Um, so basically, um, what I wanted to do is I, I feel frustrated a few things. I feel frustrated with the way that we handle scripture in general. I think we don't approach it in the right way in our churches. Um, the way it was originally intended was more like it's the center of worship. Uh, someone would read it like back in Jesus's time, someone would read it and then everyone else would discuss their interpretation of it, right? Like how they're seeing it and how their life experience has made them see it this way. And, you know, it's, it was more of this dance or like if you were to take a diamond and you turn it in the light and the light shines through. So it's this, this um, sort of community thing where everyone got to turn it and leave it open-ended and go, gosh, like, I don't know. We'll see how this plays out kind of. And, and now in church, we really approach it as this end all. Someone gets up, and they preach something, they tie it up with a loose end. And if they can't find one, they're like, but Jesus is good. And then, and or they'll, they'll wind their way to penal substitutionary atonement. Yes. No matter. And then all of a sudden there's an altar yeah. and it's very confusing. And I, um, 
And that's just it's just not- bad writing. It's just bad <laughs> writing, frankly. It is. And it's not the way it was meant to be handled. Like, that's just never the intent for it. And so I wanted to. And then second of all, is I will preach and people will say, oh, my gosh, how did you know that? How did you know that about so and so or the such and such place? And I would say, oh, I got it from this book. I'll send you the resource. And I would send it. And then I'd see them later. And I'd say, oh, did you read that? And they of were like, not. no, that's boring. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fair. So um, I wanted something that sort of reclaimed the way that reading scripture should be. And I also wanted something that anybody, regardless if it's your first time picking up the Bible, if you are just reading it because you're interested, or you're somebody that's been in church for years and left church, whatever it is that you could pick it up, read it from a new lens, but also understand the cultural historical context. And then my third thing was that I think to the best of our ability, even when we are putting in cultural and historical nuances, we really come up with these translations because they're word for word. Like translating uh, translating something, especially when it comes to like the Bible, is a spectrum. So there's like word for word. That's like your NIVs, USVs, whatever. And then there's phrase for phrase or meaning for meaning. And that's like the message. So if it's like NIV message, Tim Shell's like... Pass the message, yeah, yeah. All the way out here. Over in the dark. Swimming in a liberal sea of, of damnation. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the wilderness over there. Um, but um, the problem, and I'm not saying, please hear when I say this, I'm not saying that our translations are bad and wrong and this is better. I'm saying this is a different approach that I yeah. think right now in our society, we need a new construct that we don't have. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost more like an interpolation or an extrapolation than a, in, than a translation in a sense. Yes, yeah. Because you're adding in so much context. Right, well, and so part of it was that I was like, even in our best like word for word translations that we're like, okay, this is pretty accurate. Or even when someone gets up and preaches something or whatever, it's so two dimensional, right? It's so just like he did this and she did that and God came down and they broke the bread and like, wow. And so I can't connect with that, right? Like that doesn't make any sense yeah. to me at all. And like, so for example, if you go and read it and we'll, we'll read a thing from I'm gonna, it. I'm going to read it. Okay. Can I set it up real quick? Set it up. So, um, Genesis 22, verse 22. Yeah. Set it up. Abraham is called by God to sacrifice his son. Like, how many of you have ever read that and be like, that's messed? Is Soren Kierkegaard in the audience? No. Nerd joke. And so I would always read that and be like, why is everybody fine with this? Like, why is everybody, like, why do we worship a God that's like, hey, you should kill your kid? And why, like, what's so great about Abraham that he's like, okay. Like, that's never made any sense to me. And um, I mean, it's true. And I just thought like, there has to be more to this or like, we all have been so fooled bad. Mm, yeah. Which maybe we'll find that out, but well, no, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and so um, I, I tend I want- to think that if we're really wrong, we're just going to die and we won't know that we were wrong. Yeah. It's so we, like- know, we wouldn't actually find that out. Yeah. Maybe we wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe we'll do this again there yeah the same talk anyways so um just like an are we doing interstellar <laughs> yeah, What's a going bit. Here? so um i wanted to like dive in to abraham and isaac and go okay like what is their background like why are they acting like this is normal who is god what was their religion at the time and then bring in like information that we have now about the human experience and go 
like we're going to miss something if we don't pretend at least for the sake of finding our own stories or finding the stories of our neighbors that these people are real people with real emotions and real struggles. Yeah. yeah. So this is just the first verse. Uh, this is one verse and it's like a full Are you going to read the your preferred years translation? After a, no, I'm going to read. Oh, yeah. Preferred translation. You want me to read that? Yeah. One? You No, you read the regular translation. I got yours. Okay, okay. We, on, we've saved on. the meat for the end here. And you're going to hear... I already read this, so I know how cool it is, and now you're about to find out. Hold on. What translation is your preferred? I don't care. I mean, obviously, besides Tim Shell. I don't have have a preferred translation because I used to go ESV, and now I'm in uh, Reformed Recovery. Okay. And I don't know. If anyone can recommend a translation, I'm in the... Okay. There's a lot of letters. Okay. (laughs) EMT today. EMT. That one? Okay, wait, uh, the the first one, right? Twenty-two verse 20, one. Year, years after Abraham had moved to Canaan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just that verse. Okay, okay here we go. Twenty-two right, here's, verse one. Here's the plain old Bible. Boring. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, "Abraham," and he said, "Here I am." Okay, that listen how short that was. This is great. Here is the Tim Shell translation. Years after Abraham had moved to Canaan and had the promise of his son fulfilled in Isaac, an ethereal voice called out to him in a dream. Abraham believed the summons came from Elohim, one of the pagan gods he worshipped, a god whose voice he heard when he left Ur. Yet, unbeknownst to Abraham, the pagan gods had remained silent and it was Yahweh who spoke. Yahweh yearned to uncover Abraham's ancestral convictions to figure out what he still clung to and what he was willing to leave behind. He was measuring Abraham's faith while Abraham was intent on discerning Elohim's place in the divine hierarchy. Boom. Mic drop. So. Uh, it's the same. It's the same. We have like five minutes. I didn't it's add the same anything. Thing. Yeah. Uh, Tim Shell is going to be 5,000 pages long. No, um, it's not the whole Bible, right? It's part. Not, yeah. not yet anyway. Uh, so one way you can talk about this is the difference between monotheism and monolatry and monolatry is Yahweh above all the other gods. And eventually by the time we get to late temple Judaism before Christ comes, we're in full on monotheism, the Shema prayer, there is only one God and it's Yahweh. And so what you're pointing at is in the, in the narrative moment of Abraham's calling, they're not at monotheism yet. No. We project that back. Yes. But Abraham doesn't actually know which God is taught in his mind, which of the hierarchy, like, the pantheon of gods. This? Yeah. He doesn't know it's Yahweh. He thinks it's Elohim or El or whatever. Right. So just maybe say a little bit about that. I Immediately I was like, I'm in. This is so cool. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that I have read later right. in stuff, but it's nice to have it in just the text. Just sitting there. Yeah. So we just sort of assume like how my kids assume I've always been a parent um, that Abraham just always knew Yahweh as we know like him to be. Right. Um, but that wasn't true. So he was a polytheist and he, um, child sacrifice was a part of his religion. So if a God asked you to do this, you, whether or not you liked it, you were like, this is how stuff gets done. And so you did it. Um, and so when he heard this voice and, He's not sure who it is. And the Hebrew language actually there is that 
God asks Abraham something and gives him the choice if he wants to answer. And Abraham answers um, and like all this Midrash says, because he's trying to figure out who he is. So it's actually the story of God being like, who are you, Abraham? And what do you believe? And Abraham being like, who are you? And where do you fit in this like hierarchy of gods that I believe in? So cool. Um, there's a lot more we can do. People can obviously get, they can order the book and then there'll be like 20 of these passages, right? Yeah, there'll be 20. Can we like just go do, over a little bit and talk yeah, about one more? Please, I was just going to say, give us one more okay. example that uh, means a lot to you. Yeah, so, and this is actually great. I think it goes well with what um, she just spoke about. But so Luke 7, right? You have this passage and this woman or Jesus is at this dinner party with the Pharisees. And um, this woman comes in and she has this alabaster jar of perfume. Ring any bells? We've all heard it, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. These 20 stories we picked to start are all ones we've heard like 50 million times. Um, so she comes in and how it's normally preached is that like she comes in and she does this weird thing and she's this like over emotional woman, but she like sacrifices her one possession, which is this jar and then the band comes up and it's like, what's your alabaster jar? And like, the, that's <laughs> the synth pad. And you're like, swells. I don't know what like, that means. I live in late stage capitalism. I have 20 alabaster jars yeah, that are like, interchangeable. Like which one do would I sell give the up? Tahoe like, or do, do we have to do that? Downgrade to a CRV. And um, so <laughs> Lord, what would you have us do? Like, I think God's calling me to be silent on this. Like, I don't have to do it. So <laughs> I think that that's a good out. Insane. God's asking me to be silent on this one. Wow. Um, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that with my wife. Go ahead. Okay. Good luck. I'm glad she's not listening. <laughs> she might be. Um, so that was always bugged me because like, what? And, um, also, just the way we paint women in that story. I mean, the whole she's thing. She's hysterical. She, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. she's a mess. Right. Uh, as usual. And so I um, was like, you know what? We're just, let's just dig in here and see what we find. So, on one level, you come in, you, you start reading the text, and the Greek describes her as this a woman of the city, which is that she is a prostitute. And so she's coming in. And prostitutes and women in general were just really low on the social ladder. So she comes in to this uh, dinner party and you have the Pharisees who are really high on the social ladder. And um, what happens here is she starts doing these rituals to Jesus. She starts like uh, she weeps on him and she uh, lets her hair down, which was like a sign of promiscuity. And she wipes it, um, his feet with her hair. And it's just like this kind of odd act. And he actually mentions it. But what's interesting about it is he says like, she offered, you wouldn't even offer me this, but she offered me that. And it turns out there's actually like some customs that you do to the guest of honor. Like you might um, like wash his hands or you might give him oil. And so he's kind of saying to the Pharisees, like you didn't even do that. He's been spurned given the cultural context. Right, right, right. And she comes in and treats him as you would treat an honor guest. As you would, but in a different way. Yeah. And so when you go into it, one thing you notice historically is actually the movements that she does there resembles almost identical to the same movements you would do to anoint a high priest in Old yeah. Testament times. And so symbolically what's happening is that like, as a reader, we should be able to read that and go, oh my gosh, Jesus 
is acting or is high priest and why that matters is because the job of the high priest was to like be the peacemaker, right? To like um, equalize the playing field. And so what he's doing here is you've got like this um, high rung social people and then you have someone who is on the bottom and he is like literally equalizing the playing field. But still that's very two dimensional for us. We can't necessarily like connect totally with that. And so pull back another layer and you research like, okay, what does being a prostitute mean during that age? And for all, all the research we can find is it was actually a form of slavery. Like it was sex trafficking. So this woman, and we know just from the story we just heard, but also from human experience and research that we have that this woman she has been abused. She's been mentally abused. She's been emotionally abused. She's probably been physically abused. But to be somebody who is a sex slave, you are taught that all of your love, all of your worth, all of your affection relates in a sexual way. You cannot receive any love or affection or whatever, unless it is sexual. And also your body doesn't belong to you. Your body belongs to your owner and to your clients. And that's it. So this woman, she's walking in and she is carrying these massive amounts of abuse, of shame, of, um, trying to find freedom, but not knowing how. And when you're reading it, you realize what she's doing is actually this very intimate act. Like if you read it, it almost feels on her part, very intimate and borderline sexual. And you're going, what's happening here? And now you see why the Pharisees are like, what the heck? Because why is Jesus letting her do this? But what we know from people who have been sexually abused is that the only, they get to a place that they are so broken and they have not received love that isn't tied to sex or isn't tied to them giving of themselves or a commodity, that the only language sometimes that they have is a sexual language. So when we read that story, it's actually a story about this broken, abused woman that comes in and she is searching for freedom and desperate to find it. But she uses this sexual language because she doesn't know how else to do it. And Jesus actually meets her there, accepts her language, shows her love for the first time that isn't tied to sex and the Pharisees are appalled. So this story is actually, it's about gender roles. It's about uh, structural privilege. It's about abuse. It's about communication. It's about sex. It's about love. It's about everything. And what it should do is move us to empathy towards people that have been sexually abused. We should be able to find our own stories and go, okay, that's why I am the way I am, or that's why she is the way she is, or he is. Realize that most of the stuff we say and do has everything to do with the things we've been through. And maybe in some cases, the story should also hold up a mirror to our own privilege. So that's what we should get when we read that story. And if the biggest question, and she would ask questions too, like, what does this mean then? How, how can I move outside of myself to be there for victims of sexual abuse? What did Jesus do? Oh, he accepted their language. He didn't try to change it. What did the Pharisees do? Why is that not okay? It should ask these big questions that make us healers in our society. So I have a problem that if we read a text like that and the biggest thing we can ask ourselves is something about like our own fucking jar, like hard pass, I'm done. Done. Damn, girl. Boom. You get an alabaster jar and you get an alabaster jar. All right, that was Bonnie Lewis. Man, I told you. I told you it'd be great. uh, Now, 
Oh, you uh, told me. Okay, I forgot. I thought I, that I had introduced you to Bonnie Lewis you, and you made s- all that work. It's cool. No, you were the one that said, what was the scripture you quoted about women not speaking at the BC conference? What oh, was yeah. the scripture you quoted? Well, it's all over the Bible. I don't know. There's a hundred of them. Which one? A million of them is what you said. Yeah. And you it said permea- not- it permeates all the Old Testament, yeah. all the New Testament. You said you're not Jesus, sinning against that, your God. Yeah, that was one of the last things Jesus said you, on the cross. You will not sin against your God, but I'm yeah, different. Father, than you. forgive them. Why have you forsaken me? Make sure them yeah. women don't teach men. Bonnie Lewis all. is awesome. I, um, just, I mean, it's just amazing how smart people are. I just can't believe just that they can just do things that I could never even think to do. But that's the only way speak- we can be a part of all that is to have the actual conference where we invite them because right. we can't be invited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but speaking of women with brilliant ideas, I was talking to Reba <laughs> before the podcast, and Reba says that she's worried that at some point, because, you know, we always do these little uh, impromptu, hey, we all have to go do stand-up comedy. We have to do this, this, and this. And Reba, just in case... She said she came up. She told me she came up with a, a stand up bit just in case we forced her <laughs> to go to go up and do stand up. I do not know what it is. So Reva, I, please, oh, I know this, this this can be embarrassing or whatever, <laughs> but I promise you, no matter what, Joey and I are going to laugh. No matter what, I would love to hear the stand up bit that you did because I promise I'm the worst stand up comment. You would not. I, I know it's- people go, Toby, you're funny. You're funny. I'm not. Stand up is just horrible for me. What is your bit? I have the premise, but not the full bit. Okay, that's fine. So that's fine. The premise is how long <laughs> until <laughs> you're not supposed to laugh yet. It's already perfect. <laughs> I love it. I'm so in. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm ready, Reva. What is it? How long until they give you your B card back? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> What's it gotta be? Like two years, three years, five years? At some point, don't they just feel sorry for you and say, Okay, you can have this back now? <laughs> I like it. I like you it. You mean you mean because you haven't had sex in so long? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At a certain point, you're a virgin again. Yeah. We never talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. As, at, I mean, at what point is it like, okay, you're basically a virgin again, so you might as yeah. well, like, here you go. You can have your V-card yeah. bag. Like, like, if you just wait long enough, it's like the, the purity stuff. Like, you're back yeah. stronger than ever. Yeah. I love it. That was really good. <laughs> that made me laugh. That was a good idea. I like that joke. It was very you're good. The, you're the next Miss Maisel, for sure. Y'all heard of that show? It's the new craze. Joey you broke up, Joey. You. What'd you say? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. You're back. All okay. right. Hey, do we got some BC clubbers too? Uh, Joey, can you give us some BC? We do. All right, cool. So we have Ashley Rant. We have Samuel Kaysen, Amanda Keener, Chase Kovac, Colby Byerley, Dakota Thacker, Ray Rose. Emily Dowd, that's a badass name, by the way, Ray Rose. Andrew Kerna, Sarah Byerley. So it looks like we have a Colby Byerley and a Sarah Byerley. Jeremy Harvey, Hugh Jennett. 
wait, is this is this one of those like words? Hugenit. 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 Huge in it. He, oh, huge in it. <laughs> Siobhan C. Valentine and David Tanner. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the BC Club. Hell yeah. So people can go to thebcclub.com. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what just happened a, a little while ago is Toby, yeah. on the BC Club episode that we were just recording an hour ago, Uh-oh. literally made a conscious decision to share something on the BC Club episode that he would not have been comfortable sharing to the masses on our other podcast. Don't out and, me, Joey. Okay, but here's what's so cool is the conversation was so good about some of the ways that Reva has overcome uh, anxiety and some of the stuff that I've overcome with depression, some of the stuff Toby's overcome, and then some new stuff that Toby's learning with uh, an accident that I don't think he's even shared with anybody else. But anyway, I wanted to make it like a full episode because it was just so good and put it on, uh, like I said, the regular feed, but the content was too personal. So you really are missing out. But Toby, I, does that change? Like if we get everybody to join the BC Club, then you're not comfortable anymore and you're going to stop doing that. And so if it's like somebody, a false advertisement. If somebody takes the initiative to join the BC Club, I feel like we have a, we're in, what is uh, Ben Seeler say? Indebted. A, Indebted. a trust circle, a circle of okay. trust <laughs> that that's deeper than just the casual listener. So That's never there, been breached before. Go ahead. I mean, we, we say a shitload of stuff on this podcast for sure that we probably shouldn't, but I do believe that the clubbers know me a little bit better, especially a lot of them come to like the BC conferences or, you know, different uh, Emory shows or whatever. We meet them in person a lot. Um, so uh, the BC club episodes oftentimes are a little bit even more vulnerable than I think even the, you know, public shows are. Uh, and I like that. I like being able to feel completely free and say fucked up shit that might be, uh, crazy or, or not crazy. I don't know. But anyway, you know, uh, after Reva's joke, I looked it up. I typed in, can you be a virgin again? <laughs> <laughs> I did my research. That's what research on Google is. And you know, there's a lot of people now that, that say you actually can be that, that virginity was always considered to be just the hymen, you know, that if that was broken yeah. or whatever, that then not. But a lot of people say like in this, it's came to like re rewire com or something like they say, uh, I know that it takes like a woman up to seven years to be a virgin again or something like there's thoughts <laughs> going around that you might could be a virgin again. Because of cer- certain well, amount of time. So just, well, no matter it makes what, sense for females, but they're right. not really the same thing for males. I don't think. Yeah, but yeah. no matter what, that no matter what, the def the simple definition changes, right? Because it, it seems like one definition that we've all accepted is: Have you had sex or not? So that you have to change the definition of virginity and say like the actual condition of a woman's body. You have to. You have to change the definition of virginity, right? Unless I had the wrong definition. Well, in the first I'm guessing place. that's what people were thinking when they wrote those articles yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just think about it, though. If you had sex when you were uh, 17 or 18 or 19, or tw- 20 years old, and then the next time you had sex when you were 60, it wouldn't be almost any different, right? I mean, like, think about <laughs> as time passes, you don't remember or you don't. You know what? You wouldn't know what you were doing or anything. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's interesting. But you're right. The definition, but I don't know if is, words matter. You, you, you want to hear something I, I think is really interesting? And <clears throat> we'll leave it here. I had a, um, yeah, I, I made that call. Hell yeah, I did. We're leaving it here. 
So I had a, a super, super experienced uh, therapist tell me that when someone is widowed, uh, whether it's the, the, the husband or wife, that when, if and when they get married again, the thought of having sex with a, a different woman is almost always, like in his experience, is almost always super exciting for the male because he's like, yeah, I've missed my wife, yeah. but man, uh, a new woman to have sex with, that's cool. Um, and obviously these are people that were monogamous in their marriage. Um, but... Uh, Did you forget where you were going? Because you No, 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 I'm sorry. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Like, I just have to hit pause real quick. <laughs> Hey, I believe whatever Joey was going to say was going to be awful. He was talking about men just want to get laid after their wife dies. And women are like, I don't know. I'd like to just, you know, women were going to say something way better. And Joey was going to say, yeah, men or something. So let's just go ahead and end it silently and uncomfortably here. (laughs) And we'll be done with it. That's okay with you, Reba. Because whatever Joey was going to say, I don't want our podcast to support it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you all listening dodged a bullet. You're welcome. All right. Goodbye. Okay. I'm sorry about no, that. No, we ended the podcast, Joey. Okay. You're not allowed to say what you got to say.